All right, if you would turn to Romans chapter 7, continuing through the book of Romans. You're going to find some interesting things here. Now the message this morning we're going to be talking about, we're going to, I'm going to, as a matter of introduction to set up the preaching slash teaching this morning, I'm going to be talking about marriage uh, to start with. And in the specifics concerning a husband and a wife, but also in general of joining any two things together and the nature of that bond. Married. What is married? It's two individual things joined together as one. Joined together. She is called woman. Why? Genesis 2.23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You know, I, I mentioned this last week. I know Katura, she John calls her woman sometimes. She doesn't like it, but you know, I call my wife woman sometimes. Hey, woman, how you doing? You know, but you know, it's not a bad thing. What you're saying is you're one flesh, you're joined together. Matthew 19.6 says concerning marriage, wherefore they are no more twain, Jesus speaking here, but, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Um, we hear those words and, and uh, marriages many times. Um, I just think there are a lot of words sometimes. Uh, but they need to be taken seriously. God set down a principle early in the Scriptures that there are things joined together that man cannot pull apart without severe damage because they're joined together as one. Man was born joined together. Permanently glued together to sin. And, and I've got some, some things here. Anna helped me glue some stuff together because we're joining some stuff together. This, I, I want you to see this picture of mankind, of how we were born. <laughs> Sinners tied to sin, joined together. That's how every person was born. Permanently glued together to sin. Man's efforts to break away from sin produce nothing more than the proof of sin itself. The sin of choice. Trying to retain self-righteousness only produce more unrighteousness and destruction. I did like what we've been looking at the book talking about our mind. It, one of the things that stood out to me is the more you try in your flesh to, 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 to fix things, to work things out, the worse it gets. Really, what we are to do is to get our minds on the right things. <laughs> and those things go away. We don't battle with it because we're just incapable of doing that. So, Annie, I got something for you to do. So... If you would, try to separate these two pieces nice and cleanly, okay? Just, just 
don't try not to yeah just try not to get it ripped apart I, I'm going to give you a few few minutes here how you doing not so good just rip it apart go ahead and rip it apart you can do that yeah yeah, yeah. this that's 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 what a, a bond does it just cannot be separated it's impossible to break apart what was the glue that married sin to mankind we find its origination in the garden of eden genesis 3 1 says now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, <clears throat> but of the fruit of the tree, <clears throat> excuse me, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now there's a lot of sayings about, you know, God didn't say said that, they misinterpreted. I don't know. Maybe God did. I mean, I look at the scriptures, God tells us about sin. And he tells us where that sin starts. He may have very well told them that. But it says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God knoweth that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know, many times the fruit that Adam and Eve ate is depicted as an apple, isn't it? You know, that's just the, the common picture and there's some interesting reasons for that but there's others who would say it was not an apple uh, some say it was a fig tree it was a fig because they sewed fig leaves together from that same tree to clothe themselves after they sinned now, that sounds really cool and neat and stuff but I, I think we're just pulling stuff out of the word of God but the Bible never really tells us what the fruit looked like or tasted like, except that it was pleasant to the flesh. We know that because of the scriptures. It was pleasant to look at, we found out, the lust of the eyes. It was appealing for food, the lust of the flesh. It was believed to give power to be the God of yourself, the pride of life. Though we do not know what the fruit looked like, or tasted like, the Bible very clearly tells us what the fruit was. For one, it was forbidden fruit, it's been called. Yes, it was pleasant to look at, yet it was not made for man to eat of. It was poisonous fruit, fruit that would bring death if eaten. I kind of like thinking about the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil as it were the good things, the things that God gives us to us. That fruit is for, that type of fruit is for aesthetic value only. It was not meant to be food for us. In other words, fruit was made for us to enjoy this type of fruit. This fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was meant to enjoy from a distance, to give pleasure with our eyes from a distance. Flowers are like that. But flowers are not food. <laughs> they were not made for our sustenance. And I hope that you'll get the gist of this. Pray that God will kind of help you see some of these things. You know, as wonderful as a gift can be of itself, 
The most important part of the gift is, and we've heard this said, it's the thought behind the gift. Salvation is the greatest gift we could ever receive. Its benefits are amazing. It brings, we're saved from hell. We're given life. We're given peace. We're given heaven. And we could go on and on and on of what this gift provides, the things of the gift. But what is most important about that gift is the thought behind it. For God so loved the world that He gave. God loves me is the greatest part of the gift that is not to be missed. And it's something we learn and we need to continue to learn and add to our learning. The greatest result of a gift given and a gift received is a greater relationship between the gift and the giver. The things we have to enjoy, we have to enjoy on this earth, were designed to be received with thanksgiving and the return of praise and of love and honor to Him. It's all about the relationship. That's what things are about here when properly given and properly received. Things properly received are God-given tools to build a closer relationship with Him. If those things aren't doing that, it's a misuse of it. Adam and Eve misused the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They traded the relationship for personal gain. A foolish thing. The misuse of things received of God is looking to things as our sustenance for life. It is loving the world instead of Him. It is an, an adulterous behavior. And I see this behavior in the world and it's disturbing. Proverbs 30, 20, Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. People live on the God's great earth, eat His food, breathe His air and wipe their mouth and just ignore God. Don't give Him what He deserves for all He's done for us. Jesus warned against this in Luke 12, 15. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now, we understand this naturally in good examples of good parenting as well as Bad examples of bad parenting. God says something interesting about good parent relationships in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 9. He says, Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give... And let me just put that up. Evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? Yes, the parent wishes to bless his children just as God desires to bless his children. 
But the end purpose is to increase, make better, make stronger the relationship. That's the end of it. Not of things to base your life upon. Our life is to be based on a proper relationship with God. Hebrews 13.15 By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name but to do good and to communicate. Forget not for with such sacrifice God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. The greatest gift ever given to man was His Son, Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews 13, we see what is to result from the gifts from God. Praise. Thanks. Good works. Communication. Obedient spirit. Submission. All these proper responses to God's gifts do one thing. It properly aligns our relationship to him, it's all about relationships. <laughs> if we give the right gifts and if our children receive them right, we seek the same fruit, a proper relationship with our children. On the other hand, poor parenting will do just the opposite. Sometimes poor parents miss providing the basic needs of their children. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. These parents are addicted to their own self-serving pleasures, causing their families to pay the price for their selfishness. It costs the members of the family to suffer in, suffer in a lack of security, love, and acceptance. Now, don't get me wrong, not all poor parents are evil, thieves, robbers, part of gangs, and drug runners. Some are. <laughs> but some suffer with addiction that takes them over, that overrule what they know better to do, while others are just continuing in a bad parenting pattern that they were raised in, don't even know any better. That's what you see a lot of time out there. And by the way, even poor parents give nice gifts to their children. I'm giving you something I've observed and I know for a fact. If you go to school, you'd be surprised to see that the children that have some of the best of things come from poorly parented families. Why is that? The gifts these children get are gifts of compensation or feel sorry for gifts. Sometimes moms go to work to provide for the family whose husband is waste, wasting his family income. The mom is motivated to give their children the best of things to try and compensate for all the bad things that they have to go through in life. Or perhaps the mom grew up with very little in a family who emphasized that life was about having things. That mother seeks to give her children all the things she didn't have. It's their failures. Not only that, but a bad parent who just wasted his living on illicit behavior the night before will wake up sober in guilt and shame. 
Children in these families know exactly what to do. They ask for things. For the father is subject to giving their children big things to cover their guilt and shame. I know this for a fact. They will buy their children really big things after, after a recent show of illicit behavior. All you have to do is ask a kid in that family. They know exactly what to ask for and when. Children of these families will tell you that at that point they can get just about anything they want. It's a gift of guilt or of compensation. Can you see the misuse of, of gifts here and where this drives? Both of which what they do is they superficialize, and I just made that word up because I couldn't find it in the dictionary. See if I spelled it right. <laughs> but they superficialize family relationships. They make it very superficial. It's about things and getting things, trading things back. But poor parenting comes not only from the poor and the down and out. Poor parenting can come from the rich who are greedy to give up their career, their money, their power, their things, the things they want to do. These are the inferior things that feed them and the things that they use to try and buy relationships with their family. It's called spoiling children. I, you know, when I think back and one time you'll, you'll get to a point in your life when your kids are raised and you think, you know, what are the things that I did wrong or could have done better and all those sort of things. One of those things I think about, I wonder if I spoiled my children too much. Maybe gave them too many things. You know, it's, that's not necessarily a good thing. What these people are doing when you spoil your children, you're not building a good parent-child relationship. They are teaching relationship building with things. The same thing as poor people do. We've seen it in the movies. You see it all the time. Those movies aren't making things up. But people relate exactly to it. I know that guy. Yeah, I've seen him. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And they will justify, these people will justify any kind of behavior in the pursuit of that. The end of that type of family is described in 2 Timothy 3, 7. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. It's been said of a rich man that the one thing he lacks, the only one thing he lacks is one more dollar. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. A wise parent will be careful to provide gifts that result in the best of relationships. Ultimately, to lead their children to a wonderful relationship with them? No, with God. See, we can fall short there. We've fallen short if, if their life is centered around us. It needs to be centered around God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father which is in heaven. We've got a big task ahead of us. May our children come to the conclusion that true joy and blessings in life come from a yielded, consecrated life to God, that they see us make prayer, 
Bible understanding, love of church, love of lost souls, service to mankind, our resources, our time, our money, our things, given in selfless behavior to serve others with. When they receive gifts from us, may they receive the knowledge of the source. A great, wonderful, worthy God. We sung about that, didn't we? He is worthy. He is worthy. Revelation chapter 5. You get to that point. Wow. What a portion of Scripture. He is worthy. May our children see that. May they see their way to personal success is God. And that's the source of blessing. You know, the fruit was forbidden to eat. But it wasn't forbidden to look at. Yet there's a specific name for the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The glue that holds it together was the fruit of unbelief. The fruit of unbelief. (laughs) Think about it. God said not to eat of it, that it would cause death. But man did not believe God at his word. Now, I don't believe, now I want you to listen to this here. This is pretty important. I don't believe Adam and Eve ever lost their salvation. My reason, they were in a perfect relationship with God. They were in God's hand. From their birth, they were kept by God, just as a believer can never lose his salvation because it is kept by God. Neither could Adam and Eve lose their salvation. What they did lose was their perfect relationship with God. The same thing happens to a believer when he sins. Brought sin into his life still have we have Christ the reason we're going to heaven is not of any of our works it's because we're attached to Christ because he is risen we will rise it's everything about him you see there's a major difference between us and Adam and Eve though now you might think this is funny it's called a belly button If God gave Adam and Eve a belly button, it was for looks. Man was made by God from the dust. We've read about this. Woman was made from God, by God from Adam's rib. They were born without sin, perfect before God. The rest of us have a belly button. We came from mankind, sinful Mankind, not knowing God, we were helpless, hopeless. That's what we look like. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, we were born married to sin, inseparable from it. We tried to pull it apart. It can't be done by man with no human cure. We were born doomed to death, hell, and the grave. It takes us down. We talked about that in Romans what the nature of that is. Romans chapter 6 brings in the death of a past marriage to sin and a new marriage unto 
righteousness. Romans 6.20, For when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. <laughs> what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed of? <laughs> For the end of those things is what? Death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a wonderful thing. It is a joy to know Jesus has saved you from sin, that we are free to serve God. That's what it's, we have freedom now. That we will one day enter into everlasting life, forever changed in a sinless state, in a perfect world, where God will make what He says, all things new. It's not a rehab sin world that we have to deal with. It will be all new. I, I can't explain it to you. God does it. Now, Romans chapter 7 is a big dose of truth about our newfound relationship with God. That marriage in this life is a bond of the flesh to the spirit. That after the honeymoon, we should say, there are problems. <laughs> problems in marriage that require work. Work that requires a new way of thinking to overcome the problems of this relationship by faith. Believing God that He will bring this relationship into a perfect state in eternity one day. One day. Philippians 3, 20-21, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He, He is able to subdue all things unto Himself. We are, we are still hopeless. We can't do anything about this bond. Somehow God is going to do that and give us, change our vile body into something incorruptible. I have several titles that apply to the message. That's a big introduction, wasn't it? The honeymoon is over. The fight is on. Or halfway home. You can choose whichever one you want. That's half prayer. Father, may we understand Romans chapter 7 today in a very simplified way. A large introduction should have helped us to see the things we need to see here. Help us to move through it in a, in a very concise way and to simplify its message. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's a common thing to say the honeymoon is over. <laughs> it refers to the time the initial joy of marriage turns into the reality that it takes work to maintain the joy of marriage. It requires right thinking, and right thinking turns into right actions, and right actions turn into the right kind of love. Romans chapter 7 begins with a comparison of salvation to marriage. It begins with 
the great new relationship with a true love. It continues with the difficulty in this life to maintain that love and why that is. And it speaks of the unfailing love of Christ who will in eternity make our salvation totally complete and perfect in a day that's yet to be realized. The message of Romans chapter 7, I've given it four points. Fetters to fall, fruit to gather, flesh to fight, and finally freed from sin. Romans 7, 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to of them that know the law. Now, he's going to be talking about marriage here, but he's using it as an example, obviously. Here, he's not really, though it can apply, it's, it's, that's not the, the point of what he's bringing up here. He says, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. He's saying, here's something that you know. Now let me expand on this. It says, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress though she be married to another man. And what he's describing here is we were married to sin. But because of Christ, sin died. The death of that, that we might be married to another, to married to Christ. Okay? It's a simple, he wants us to see this very simply. So then there's fruit to gather, verse is four through six. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law. By the by who? By the body of Christ. It wasn't of us. That ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Who is that? Jesus. Why? That we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, fruit's an interesting thing. Didn't have a whole lot of time to study and to think about it, but one thing that I immediately picked up on is fruit always has to do with what it's attached to. It reproduces after its kind. <laughs> when we are saved, we are reproducing people after Jesus' kind. Our children. Winning people to the Lord. This is the type of fruit that's supposed to come out of this relationship. It says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Just look at the world, what they do. That's their fruit. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not of the oldness of the letter then there's a flesh to fight. I'm just going to read through this because I always find this like mind-boggling to, to talk through because I'm just going to give the conclusion of it. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the command, commandment, Rod in me all manner of concupiscence, 
For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. Now, I'm not exactly sure what Paul is saying here, but I do know we were born at one time. We weren't under the law. <laughs> we didn't understand it. We weren't bound by it. It says, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So when the commandment came, it said, you're guilty. And the commandment which was ordained to life, this is a good thing. The law is good, it's right. I mean, if we could follow all the law, that would be a great thing. But he said, I found it to be unto death because I can't do it. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Was, was then that which is good made death unto me? In other words, this is a bad thing that killed me? No. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. It's to bring us to the cross. God knew He had to bring us to the cross. That's the only place of salvation is of guilt that I am lost, that I can't be found, I have nothing in me to bring me to that place. That's what it was for. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. <laughs> the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. Sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that, I, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. <laughs> For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. This is Paul talking. I don't think any of us match up to Paul. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I, then I find, this is the conclusion. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is still present with me. It says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members Married together. Unseparable. Warring. Warring. Listen to these words. Against the law of my mind. The law of my mind. We've been talking about the mind. It's about getting our mind changed. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. It wants to pull us down. This is a constant battle of our life. We'd like to skip over this, but all just being honest about it. This is how it is. This flesh, there's no good thing in it. And we're married to it. We're married to God, but we are in this flesh still. God didn't destroy that flesh yet. But listen to what he says in verse 24 and 25. This is where we're finally, one day we'll be freed from this sin. Paul knew 
how horrible the deal and destructive sin is in our life. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of this death that I can't get away from? Then he says this, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know how he does it. This, this is a mystery to me. Because I just know no other life but this thing here. This battle of life to do right. But evil's present. But somehow, he's going to peel that apart perfectly and give us a new body, a body that's incorruptible. This, this body shall put on incorruption. This mortal shall put on immortality. This is something we need to remember that where we're going by faith, we know somehow God's going to... It's been God who's done it all along, folks. <laughs> when we realize it, we'll give Him the glory and the praise and honor He deserves. I'm going to give you a, a hint, ladies. Ladies, you got to understand the relationship between the church and Christ as you see the relationship between the husband and the wife. The husband is to give his life. The woman, the Christian, what do they try to do? Well, I give my life to you too. Yeah. But that's the wrong way. I don't hold that over my life. That's just what I do. That's what I was made to do. That's what Christ did. What does it say about the wife? That she should obey him. She should respect him. But what she wants to do is try to make it equal. You know, isn't that, that what we try to do? We've got to get to the point where we know God is everything. <laughs> we make mistakes when we think we can do something for God. If there's anything good in what I'm saying today, it's not of me. It's because God's, it's God's words through me. And when we begin to understand this, we begin to love that our relationship comes together where it should be. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Hannah's coming to play. I hope some of these papers and marriage and putting things together and becoming one and the inseparability and the amazing ability of God to do what he's going to do will ring in your mind through Romans chapter 7. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind 
I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Chapter 7, our fetters, our bondage to sin fell off. We are no longer bound to it. We are called to gather fruit, godly fruit, unto God. But we'll always have this flesh to fight. And it's a fight, but it's a worthy fight. And we must always battle the flesh to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Knowing that one day, in a miraculous way, where we are headed, we are going to be freed totally from sin to live a sinless life before God in the praise and honor of His name. We'll get a glimpse of that in the book of Revelation as Brother Mike walks us through that. What a day that will be. Be to God who give us all these things in life. Let's take them right. Let's understand them right. Let's hold them right. And let it draw us closer to Him. To be more like Him. You know, I've been hearing a lot of songs here lately. And, and words of, you know, when you die, all things are... All pain is gone and all those sort of things. Well, I don't know. I look in the book of Revelation and I see those who are crying, When, Lord? When, Lord? Who is worthy? A distress. Full signal. But it's not to the very end where I see He wipes away all tears and He takes away all pain. But he's going to do it one day. And we just need to keep that in our vision. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for those who have come to hear your word. I pray your Holy Spirit has done a work today in our lives and our thoughts. That it's, we'll grow by them. We'll see you bigger than what we've seen you before. We become smaller. And we love people more as a result what's said and done today in all the service, whether it's with the children, whether it's with the singing, whether it's with our fellowship, whether it's the preaching, the teaching, whatever is done today, may it bring fruit, good fruit unto you, for we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.